So welcome everybody once again to a very special episode this week of the Irish NFL show in amongst our normal programming we've a special program with you with a guest who needs no introduction but I'm going to give him one anyway. Currently an NFL Network and CBS analyst but you know him best probably from his time with the Cleveland Browns, with the Baltimore Ravens, with the New York Jets, with the New England Patriots winning multiple Super Bowls alongside Bill Belichick as GM of the Kansas City Chiefs and of course alongside Thomas Dimitrov in the Atlanta Falcons with over 27 years experience managing and building teams Scott Pioli some people Bruce Springsteen said he was born to run but you seem to be born to manage and create great teams you are very very welcome to the Irish NFL show oh, thank you thank you so much for having me this is great I I was telling you off air that uh, I've been telling my buddies about this all weekend uh, that I was getting ready to do this show they were pretty excited that's so cool, Scott. And look, we ask every... I appreciate your surname probably means that, like Michael Lombardi, if we had on, there might be a bit more Italian than Irish in this, but we ask every guest about any Irish connections. I, I know you studied in Newcastle, spent time in Newcastle, yes. working at Sting's Bar. So wow, ever, look at you. You guys are good. Yeah, the name of the bar was Dunes. Yeah, but did, you ever, did you ever get over to Dublin? Like, I mean, or can we get you over to Dublin? They wouldn't let, at that stage of my life, they wouldn't let me into the country. Um, it's a long story, but my ankle bracelet wouldn't work over there. At that time. I'm totally <laughs> kidding. I, I shouldn't joke like that. Um, oh, so my, my Irish story, um, you know, I, this... Gosh, with all these vowels, it's kind of tough. Most of my uh, my it's Irish association goes with my the neighborhood I grew up in. You know, in New York, it was all um, your name either had a lot of vowels like mine, and or had uh, one or maybe multiple apostrophes like some of you. And uh, but very cool story. You know, I, I we started talking about this before we started uh, th this podcast. Um, my closest friends, uh, Matt Spencer, Paul McHugh, um, families right off the boat from your beautiful country and island. Um, it is an island, right? Yeah, it's a geography was never my strong suit. They uh, and I took them out to Notre Dame this weekend, and they had never been and they wanted to see a game there. And uh, that's about as I'm trying to think, there's not even anyone in my family that uh, that married up and to Irish heritage so uh you know we, we, we've all got vowels actually no my 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 sister did she married a Casey so that's as close as I get to any kind of Irish story or Irish heritage I mean I'm a big U2 fan does that matter I mean a huge U2 fan <laughs> that's that's a good connection and uh if you hey if you ever want to come and, and tour Dublin you're you're more than welcome Scott you'll have a few tour guides now to to show you around and uh I'm gonna take you up on that do please do we'd be delighted to show you the the sights and sounds of Ireland um now Mark talked uh, you know outlined your the teams you you've worked with and look your heritage and experience I mean it's it's almost unparalleled and you've worked with some of the greats uh we mentioned Michael Lombardi who's been on with us Ozzy Newsome Bill Belichick I think you might have also learned a lesson or two from um, Bill Purcells uh, you know the big tuna himself and yeah, uh, your yeah. your father-in-law and uh, I'm thinking back to you know um your time uh, where with the with him and uh, where you know do your job was maybe exercised a uh, little more directly than uh, than than usual uh, when you director of uh, pro personnel uh, and uh, at the Jets and you asked for promotion. Um, <laughs> could you tell us that story? 
it, it was actually, uh, it wasn't necessarily promotion. I was just looking to do a little bit more work that wasn't in my space. And this was with Coach Parcells at the Jets. And I was the director of pro personnel at the time. And we had gone through a year together and we were doing pretty well in our second year in terms of uh, free agency and, and doing my job. And I remember one day asking him, you know, hey, Bill, you know, I, we're working on the draft. We're not going to do a lot in free agency this year. How would you feel about me doing some of the offensive and defensive linemen? And he just kind of looked at me and says, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll give that some thought. I'll give that some thought. And this was in and around the time of free agency. So my entire office had the, the, the free agent board and, you know, hundreds of names on magnets on my board. And um, he turns to walk away. He goes, hey, by the way, I wanted to ask you, um, that kid, you know, the, the guy who was a gunner for the Green Bay Packers, the right gunner, what's his name? Uh, and I look at him, I said, Bill, I... I don't know. We didn't play the Packers this year. That wasn't one of the teams I had to do to get us prepared for. Um, you know, so I, I, I don't know who the right gunner was for, for the Packers. Right. And he goes, oh, okay, thanks. And then he takes a few more steps out and he goes, Oh, and by the way, that kid at the saints, the, you know, <laughs> I think he said like the, you know, the fourth safety or something like that. The fourth safety at the saints who he was a special teams guy too. I'm like, Bill, we didn't, we didn't play the saints. And he goes, oh, okay. And he walks to the door and he closes the door. He goes, that's what's effing wrong with you young guys. You're always so fast to want to get ahead and worry about doing someone else's job, doing something else rather than doing your job and being a master at your job. And when I tell you, he went off, he went off for, it was a good straight 30 seconds. And he says, you know what you need to do? You don't need to do offensive linemen and defensive linemen. You just need to do your effing job. And it was one of those moments I'm like, really? Did they just go down? Part of me was like, what just happened? Part of me was like angry. And it honestly, it was, you know, Bill's presentation never bothered me because the way I was raised, the way I was coached, um, some people that were more sensitive might have taken it differently. But I'll say this, retrospectively, it was one of the greatest lessons that I learned because in that moment, there was part of me that was truly embarrassed that I didn't know the entire league. Now, at the time, you know, it's 30, I think it was 32 teams at that point still. Um, and I didn't know every player in the league. And, and people say, well, how do you know and have evaluations on all 53 players? Plus, at the time, I think it was, it was either six or eight practice squad players, how, you know, five or five eight. practice squad players. How do you know all that? Well, being the director of pro personnel, that was my job. And it forced me to become better at that job. And years later, you know, Parcells told me the story where, you know, I, I know the do your job thing gets associated with the Patriots, but Parcells was saying it before Bill B was, and before Bill Parcells was saying it, Al Davis was saying it because he stole it from Al Davis, who once told him to just do his effing job. Uh, meaning Mr. Davis told Bill Parcells that. So that's a little bit of the history and a little bit of the lesson I got that that one afternoon. Lots of lessons in a lot of days. Scott, we were fortunate to interview Kevin Colbert, the Steelers general manager, oh. uh, leading up to the season. And he discussed and talked about the recent uh, draft, the recent free agency and his role you know, within the organization trying to bring the Steelers back to winning a Super Bowl again. From your time in the league, 
as a general manager, can you talk to about the insight within that role? Something that fans wouldn't see on a daily basis. And then second, second of all, a particular player in which you may have drafted or you know, took up in free agents that during the, the, uh, in the training camp you felt, oh, I've got a good player here. Or if there's another one that you felt wasn't the right player. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, first of all, Kevin Colbert, uh, one of the all-time, not only great at his job, but just one of the all-time great people in the league. I have so much respect for him, his path, how he got to where he was, what his, how he just has an amazing work ethic and just a good guy, just a good guy. One of those guys, when you meet out on the road, when you're scouting back, because we were all scouts together at one point in time. And he would just, if you ever needed anything, you know, he was one of those guys who was always offering to say, Hey, I'm going out to grab lunch. Do you want anything? You're just a good guy, a good soul. So, and, and obviously his track record um, over the years, you know, for, for the clubs that he's worked with, Everyone knows his time at the Steelers, but really fantastic. Um, Sorry, Scott, I like the way you say Colbert, which is the way the Irish pronounce it, and and the Americans tend to say Colbert. Oh, no, I'm going Colbert. I'm feeling Irish right now, Brian. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) okay, right? Know my audience. Know my audience. So, you know, you ask about player acquisition. Well, first of all, things in the job. One of the toughest part of the job, as a general manager, you know, you move through from being – the old traditional path is you're a scout and then you're a pro director, college director, one of those, then a player personnel director, and then eventually a general manager. And I think, you know, going back to Parcells, um, one of the things he told me when I went, you know, left the Jets to go to the Patriots with Bill in the role that I was going to be in, um, you know, as Bill's partner in, in finding the players and doing the contracts. And, and you know, he said, what's going to happen is every single day you're going to go into work with a list with your to-do list, but every single day there will be at least five things that you never planned on happening that will happening that will keep you from getting to your list. You are never going to be get a, be able to get caught up or ahead. And the things that you're going to have to deal with, unfortunately, very often will have absolutely nothing to do with football. The thing that you love the most and when I tell you how true those words were, when I got into the job, I just remember at one point thinking, you know, Parcells said it was going to be every day there'll be five things. I remember the days where I was wishing that it was just five and you couldn't get to your job because what you're doing is you're managing so many different departments, so many different people. And, you know, people bring as much as you don't want them to, you've got the job to do. And then people bring their personal lives to the workplace and you end up dealing with a lot of different things. And it's not, it's players and their personal lives. And you end up spending a lot of time, energy, emotion, thought, um, working on things that again, have nothing to do with football. And I, I want to say, Brian, one of the other questions you asked, um, you know, the, player that I players that I'm really you know proud of I I would say this um I've been in this long enough to know that whenever you have a player come to your organization whether you're the final decision maker or not it's never just one person that's responsible for drafting a player or responsible for signing a free agency a free agent or trading for a player or picking some up someone up on waivers 
Um, so I would say, you know, I, I would fall short of saying how uh, proud I am of, of any one player because there were so many, you know, people talk about the Tom Brady draft that, you know, when we drafted Brady, there were so many people that had a hand in that. And ultimately, you know, Bill and I had to make the decision, but the amount of work hours and, that went into it between the area scout, the regional scout, the our quarterback coach, Dick Rabine at the time, God rest his soul, who worked him out, who spent extra time on him. And it was this, you, you know, when you make a deci any decision on any player, there's so many different pieces that come into this. We used to talk about, you know, building this mosaic and by painting a picture or creating this mosaic, there's little pieces and parts that have to be put into place for this thing to, for the picture to find like, oh, that's what it is. There's character, there's skills, there's tools, there's makeup, there's fit. There's all of these things and so many people have input to it. Um, you know, I think back to free agency, some of the players that, that you know, being a part of bringing Brian Cox to the, the New York Jets and then the New England Patriots being a part of um, bringing someone like Mike Compton. And again, there's a player from our first Super Bowl that so many people forget about in New England. And Mike Compton was one of the most important free agents we signed off the street that year. People forget that when we lined up in underneath center, Damian Woody was our center and Mike Compton was our left guard. Any and every time that we went to shotgun that season, Mike Compton had to move to center and Woody had to move to left guard because Woody was having so much trouble with the shotgun snap. His ability to play so many positions, the maturity that he brought to that room. Um, there's so many, I, I could go on and on, but again, I would say that, that it was not me. It was a group of us that brought every player to um, every circumstance I was a part of. Um. Scott, thank you. I mean, first of all, that list concept, I think I've got one of those from my wife every day. There's always five things that I don't get to. Um, but, but secondly, we love what you're saying about the team concept. We've had Jim Nagy on. We asked him about drafting Julian Edelman, and he was obviously the area scout involved in that, and he kind of emphasized the same thing. It's a team-building concept. You yeah. think about drafting Steve Neal in the Patriots and drafting in a wrestler and converting him with them the magic of Dante Scarnaccia, for example, but also oh. the ability to, to see through and develop players. And into... to develop players, right? Mark, that's a brilliant point because you can bring in players, but then they have to be developed. None of them come in, it, you know, as a, as a brilliant coach once said one time, you know, they don't just come in, add water, and they go. You've got to develop them on the field. Like Dante Scarnaccia is one of the greatest football coaches I've ever been around and teachers. You're absolutely right, Mark. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned Edelman. You developed him as a pump returner, a cornerback, slot receiver, outside receiver. So you can do many, many things. Hey, hey, look, Troy I mean, Brown. I mean, Troy Brown is one of those guys. Well, you know, he yeah, ended up playing, you know, the slot corner for us because of good coaching and because of here's the other thing I want, I want to be careful. Is, yes, we pick players. Yes, we develop players. But at the end of the day, the player has to be willing and able to be able to do it. So, so often, again, we're getting credit for something that the player also had to be a part of doing, obviously. So all, all the sum of the parts. And look, you talk about the team concept. I mean, the greatest team probably that you were a part of is actually your team and partnership with Bill Belichick. I mean, I know you've known him from college days. You worked alongside him in multiple franchising roles. You've won Super Bowls a lot with him. You've been a contemporary during your time as GM in Kansas City. You've been on opposite side 
of Super Bowls with him during your time with the Falcons. Yeah. I mean, frankly, Scott, if anyone has any good, salacious, dirty Belichick stories, we know it's you. But while I give you a moment just to think about the absolute worst story you could tell about him, for the benefit of our viewers, I just wanted to read out what he has to say about you. Because I came across this, and I just think it's worth reading out in full. When you left the Patriots, Bill Belichick, who everybody regards as this taciturn fellow, said about you, he said, to sum up in words everything Scott Pioli has meant to this organization, to me personally, would be difficult, if not impossible. From the day I met him, he's demonstrated a passion for football and respect for the game that's second to none. It's been extremely gratifying for me to follow Scott's ascension from the bottom of the totem pole in Cleveland to his place as a pillar of championship teams in New England. Now with the opportunity to steer his own ship and a vision of building a winner, there is no more capable, hardworking, loyal, team-orientated person than Scott Pioli. And on a personal level, the Belichick-Pioli bond runs far deeper than our workplace as we and our families have shared countless memories away from football, working side-by-side side with one of my best friends for almost two decades is special enough in itself. But to help each other achieve success beyond our dreams is a blessing and something I will always remember and appreciate. Doesn't doesn't sound like he likes you very much, Scott. <laughs> no, you know, I, I'm a, when it comes to Bill and I, um, you know, the, the relationship runs so deep. And for so many years, again, he and I met while I was in college and he was a coaching in the NFL already. And we were introduced by mutual friends and the relationship started out. I mean, the first, however many years I met him in 1985 or six, and we didn't work together until 1992, yet we were always in touch. So we had a personal relationship, not, not a working relationship necessarily. And the roles that I was in, I mean, when we met, I was still, I think it was a sophomore in college or my, my second sophomore year of college. And, you know, so it, it was a very, um, all those things that you say, I, I, it, it's, I, I remember when he, when he said that and it affected me emotionally then, and it still does. And, you know, I'm usually the one that says more words than Bill. And to, to sum it up, I mean, Bill and I, I, I love Bill. You know, and he is has been and continues to be family to me. Um, and the, the roles went from being friends to him becoming a mentor, to us being co-workers, to being um, working just alongside one another for years, for nine years is, you know, and it's, uh, and the relationship still, I mean, it still lasts. And I'm very close to all of his children and um, all of his family. So, um, yeah, I like him a bunch too. That'd be, <laughs> no, it, it's it, like and respect as well. Yeah, and uh, having having another uh, great great season thus far. Interested to see how the second half of it goes. But Scott, as you said, like it it is a team effort. But you have been involved and been involved in carrying out a number of fascinating and exceptional trades over the years, like uh, Rodney Harrison, a secret road trip to get Corey Dillon, uh, Wes Welker, uh, Randy Moss, and and Randy in particular. Uh, my wife is from Minnesota, so there's 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 a, there's a bit of love for Randy. <laughs> Andy, but he's a character and and obviously you i didn't know there was a minnesota in ireland yeah she no she's she's a true viking <laughs> true viking made it over made it back over this, this direction but you mentioned al davis earlier another great character in the league 
And I suppose, so, so there's lots of uh, moving parts in that trade. Could you share, you know, your insights on that particular deal? Yeah, that, it was one of those trades where there was a lot of conversations before we actually uh, consummated it. And, you know, Mr. Davis had in mind what he wanted and we had in mind where we, where our starting point was. And we thought for a while that it really wasn't going to get done. Um, and then at the end of, uh, you know, I, it was, there was one conversation that we had at the end of the, the, the day. I think it was, it was back when there was, I think, only two days of the draft. It was end of round three, I want to say. Uh, of the first day and Mr. Davis and I talked again about the trade and he was yelling at me because he, you know he felt we were being pigs and I'm like Mr. Davis I need too much respect and I mean it sincerely I I revere um, Mr. Davis for so many reasons um, he was always very kind to me and um, again I'm one of those people as I told the parcel story you know I don't mind um style doesn't bother me some you know too often and in this trade he said he would get back to me and i you know we left the office and it was i don't know what time but it was i believe it was after one o'clock in the morning um when i was back home sitting by my phone huddled up with a blanket around me in my boxer shorts staring at the phone waiting it for it to ring I'm like mr davis called mr davis called and because we had given our final offer, which was, you know, which was going to be a fourth round pick. And sure enough, he called. But what we had to get done was the next round. Again, I'm trying to recall all this information, but I want to say that the next round, the fourth round began at either 11 or 12 o'clock noon. Randy had to be flown in, given a physical. We had to check off on him medically. Then Bill and I had to sit with him. We had to renegotiate his contract down so we could get him under the cap to fit under our cap. So Mr. Davis finally says, okay, we'll do this. And then we're scrambling to get Randy in. Then we have to meet with Randy first thing in the morning. And again, we don't know if he's going to accept the contract we're going to offer. And, but, but the, the interaction at the time was, was really interesting because, you know, all of a sudden you're in this role and you're doing business with one of the people who is, you know, um, someone that you have so much respect for and that you've watched and followed and studied and, and, and now you're in this conversation with him trying to do business, you know, it was a little surreal at times and some weird dynamics, but it's one of those things, okay, you know, put, you know, compartmentalize things and here we go. But it was interesting. So for years after that, you know, obviously things went very well with Randy and, when I got to the Kansas City Chiefs, I would have to see Mr. Davis twice a year. And every time I saw him, when I tell you he would yell curses at me and then say, and then he would, you know, with a loud, and then he would say, So how are you? <laughs> you know, and he would just, he would have to get that off of his chest. So how are you? And he was just very, and he was dialed into, wanted to know how I was doing. He had a very close relationship with Coach Parcells and, and with my father-in-law and my mother-in-law. And he would always ask me, how is Judith? You know, he wanted to, so um, Mr. Davis, you know, I, I never worked for him. Um, like many geniuses, uh, yeah, I'm sure it could be complicated at times, but 
I only have the best thoughts of and memories of him. Got uh, leading up to the draft uh, last April, we had Jim Nagy on the show, as Mark touched on earlier, and he, he spoke very highly of his time working with you, both in New England and then obviously following you on to the Chiefs. Uh, one very interesting line he said during the interview was he, he he had to assess the work he had ahead of him because he had to work twice as hard because the scouting department didn't assess players to the expectations in which he had. From your time moving around the league, is that something that you've noticed on your side in terms of bringing people up to the expectations that you want when evaluating players? Um, yes, I, but I'd say this, you know, all we know is what we learn. So what I expected from other people was nothing more than the expectations that were and demands that were made on me. And part of that was when you went into a situation when you were going to talk about players, whether it was draft preparation, free agent preparation, you, you we were taught to be lawyers in a sense. And you had to have every bit of information and anticipate all the questions that you were going to get. And so, again, I think we're, you know, we have these, this is, these ongoing conversations of nature versus nurture. I think I am naturally um, certain ways. And, you know, I've been accused of being borderline OCD in terms of details, in terms of, um, especially when it comes to football. Um, I certainly wasn't that way in my old math homework or, or certain other things, but when it came to football um, and there was also an expectation, right? I worked for very demanding people and that I think is part of what we become and very process driven. And what Jim's talking about is, um, was I very demanding? Yes. But I believe like um, the people that I worked for and learned under and that respected the most, the those people were demanding and fair. And there's expectations, there's accountability, because our accountability, you know, in this game is very public. And sometimes you're successful and sometimes you fail because I've been a part of failure as well and, and, and not done a good job. And um, so I, I think what, to Jim's point, Jim knew what the standard was and this, you know, the standard is the standard and don't come in to any room or any meeting unprepared without detailed information and expect that you're going to be asked why about 10,000 times. And, you know, yeah. if I'm asked, if you're telling me the player can do this, 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 I'm going to say, well, why do you think that is, you know, don't just as, as, as one coach I worked for, don't just slap it up there. Tell me why, right. Just, and, and, and there's truth. So uh, I'm sure that's what Jim is referring to. And yeah, working with Jim, I, I want to say this about Jim. I, I appreciate his kind words. I will say this, that Jim was probably one of the most thorough, detailed um, scout that I've ever worked with. And he did things and create, I'll never forget when we were in New England, it was this time before we had so much data. He would chart every, because one of his cross-check positions, he would have his area that he had to do but he would also cross-check the wide receivers. And he, he would bring in these charts that he had hand-made with ink in different colors. Again, before you could do this on a computer, the points on the field in which every receiver 
caught every single ball and each color indicated things because I think he at times he did certain things for me because I'm a very visual learner and I needed colors to help things tell a story to me. Jim was amazing and it wasn't something that he was asked to do. It wasn't someone that something that someone else taught him to do. He had this aha moment and he created these things because again, a, a good scout is like a good attorney that's going to bring a good story and and reasons to the table. And Jim was, okay, this is how I can educate Bill and Scott on why I feel the way that I do. I think Jim was an amazing scout. I was just gonna say, I think his work has been well recognized now in the fact that how, how involved he is in the senior ball. Yes, yeah, and, and, and he is an outstanding scout and one of the hardest workers. I and mean, you're around a lot of hard workers in, in, in this business, well, in any business. But Jim, um, Jim also, no job was too big and no job was too small. Sky sounds like he's taken the old uh, Steve Belichick scouting chart and just evolved it another step further. Of course, his yeah. famous book on scouting methods, um, yes. which uh, is key. I by the way, I just want to quite in segue, you calling out the late, great Al Davis there. Something we've emphasized on the show in recent weeks has actually been well, Al Davis and the Raiders have always stood for when you think of Tom Flores, you think of Art Shell, I think of Amy Trask, it has been diversity and something Absolutely. to always call in mind in relation to that franchise, in relation to other matters that have occurred. Um, completely separately, Scott, we're talking a lot about team building. I read and devoured the fantastic Michael Holly book, War Room, which talks about not just you, but obviously Belichick and Thomas Dimitrov in the Falcons about the way in which during 2010 season, I mean, it's over 10 years old now, but I mean, there's so much in that book. I feel we could spend hours talking about just the philosophy of team building, the concepts, the challenges you have. I mean, look at the way Thomas Dimitrov went that, that, that draft with Julio Jones in relation to trading up, which... Bill Belichick obviously has said, and I think you've said as well, I wouldn't have necessarily given up that many assets to do that, but you can understand it's different philosophies and different approaches. My question is slightly different. The subtitle of that book is very interesting. It says, The Legacy of Bill Belichick and the Art of Building the Perfect Team. Based on your experience, which we covered is numerous, and not thinking of uh, the 2007 Patriots in any way, shape, or form, but can you ever build... Do you really just go there... I did. I had to. But could you? Can you ever build it? Philosophically, can do you think you can ever build the perfect team? Yes. Yes. I mean, because if you didn't, you wouldn't try to. Um, yet there's so much that goes into that. You know, you talk about the, the subtitle just and for the record here. Um, one of the things at the end of that book, I remember Michael telling us the title and I have never, anytime that I've worked for a team, I've never allowed anyone to call our draft room the war room. Um, it's something I am adamantly opposed to um, because I get all the military references. I, yeah, I, I get some of that, but I've always thought like the war room, you know, I, and again, forgive me, but you know, people lose their lives in wars. It's very, and I have so much respect for the military and people who have to live those lives and the decisions that they have to make. You know, I still look at this, I understand we're in a business. I understand that people get hurt, hurt badly at times. Um, so anyway, I remember arguing with Michael Holly before, and you know, Michael's a friend and I was like, you can't use that word. We don't even allow our draft room to be called the war room. And, and again, he was, he was overtaken by his publishers. So, uh, every time I hear, you know, I, 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 the copy I had, I scribbled out the, uh, <laughs> the words on it, but, um, you could have gone, I, I do, 
I'm sorry. Doctor Strangelove. You could have said, gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. You know, and that would have steered him away from it. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's just one of those things. I just I, I don't know. I just I just get squeamish when I hear war room because we're in there making football decisions on players and but um but I do believe that the perfect team is out there. Um otherwise you you wouldn't approach it i mean that's part of the the challenge that's part of the competitive nature is to have you know a perfect draft a perfect free agency a perfect season um it's it it's you know sometimes it's it's unhealthy <laughs> it's chasing perfection is unhealthy but you know you don't you don't get in this game to be average or to be above average you don't even get in it to be good getting it to be great and then the only thing above great is perfection so to me um yeah i i i believe it is a reality i love it love it scott scott do you have time for just one more quick round of questions just for the three of us if you've got Ooh, um i'm pushing yeah i'm pushing can we do just maybe one more or two more not not a full round but i, I no really, no no that's right we'll just do yeah, one I'm or two and we'll we'll keep it neat, neat in relation to it so colin yeah, Scott, just wanted to ask about the Pioli Family Fund uh, and, and the work there. I know um, that it's been involved in work for women coaches and scouts and with HBCU coaches and scouts. Can you just talk to us a, a little bit more for viewers here in Ireland and in Europe about the, the work? Yeah, so um, th my belief in, in equity, equality, diversity um, is is something that's been a lifelong, um, it, I call it the work. It's been a lifelong mission of mine and, and it's my family because I've always believed that football is for everyone. And I believe in equity and equality. And, you know, there's, the, there's these groups of, uh, of people um, that not only in the sport of football, that just in life ha have been marginalized and can become continue to be marginalized and there's you know the, the funds were created without getting into the, the all the minutiae the funds were created we have separate funds um hbcu grants and funds uh for coaches and scouts uh, we also have a, a separate fund in women leaders for college sports for um women only from hbcus that either work at an hbcu or or um, have graduated from an HBCU. And in the United States, the HBCU standing for the Historically Black Colleges and Universities. And then, you know, at the Women's Sports Foundation, Billie Jean King's organization, we created a fund there um, for female coaches and scouts. And what happens is, is when you look like me and you get going and you're running into some bumps along the road or low pay and, and lesser opportunities, Generally speaking, there's a lot of different ways where people of privilege, and I'm talking about myself and people look like me, to get help and to get opportunities and to get um, a little financial assistance. Or maybe, you know, when I was a coach, if I needed to, you know, I couldn't afford to have a place to live. So a coach would say, hey, come crash at our place, right? So people would be much more willing to have someone like me um, come in there or that looks like me stay at their home. Some other people aren't that fortunate. So we've created these funds to help people who need help, you know, 
um, who need help financially in order to further their careers, extend their careers, get a start in their careers. And it's just something that's very, very important to, to my family and I. Um, Scott, there are so many things we could touch on. The breeding ground in the 90, early 90s, Cleveland mm. Browns drafting Ray Lewis, as, as you were involved in in 96. Um, your time in the Falcons and the Chiefs and seedings that you, uh, seeds you sowed there. Uh, but one just really quick final question. You've been back-to-back NFL executive of the year. You've had all this great experience. You've now got let's say a cushy number in the media where your opinion's really respected and obviously doesn't have the same hours I'm sure as a GM, but last year and appreciating the full family and amazing ownership group. And you had a great opportunity to turn that franchise around you interview for the Detroit lions GM job. And I think I know the answer from just spending a bit of time with you and talking, but the question struck me at the time after all you've already done, why and how do you still have that desire to take on that stress and headaches of that? level of intensity in the NFL? Well, for a lot of reasons, it's the competition. It's the game I love. It's a, it's the game I love. I love team building. I love uh, the idea of building a team with people that you know and people that you don't know, bringing people together to try and win a championship, but understanding that when you are in the pursuit of or the process of trying to create a championship team, all of the good that you can do with your platform. And part of the platform is the job, part of the platform. It, it's, there's, it's, a, it's an opportunity to educate. It's an opportunity to mentor. It's, um, yeah, there, there, there's some crazy stuff that comes with it, but there's so much greatness that comes with it as well. And there's nothing like the feeling, I'll go back to this. You know, when I was 16 years old, uh, I was a part of this incredible high school football team and we were undefeated and we were 10 and 0 and over the course of 10 games, we gave up a total of 51 points. It was this high school team with only 33 kids. And we were a bunch of kids from, you know, a little bit upstate New York who all of our fathers were either union workers or civil servants, city, New York city cops, New York city firemen, union workers. And it was this hard scrabble, tough group of kids that came together for this year of greatness. But I remember in the moment watching how it impacted our community, our entire community, not just the community of our high school, but the community of our entire town and village. And there was something that was so powerful about that. And you know, some, some people I know liken it to a drug. I'm not a drug guy, but it was the greatest high that I've ever had. And to be able to do something, not to be the general manager or to be the head coach or the, the leader, to be a part of a leadership group and a team of people to work towards something that is a greater goal and also contributes to a greater good. There, there's not a whole lot of things in life better than that. There, there really aren't, especially when you can bring people along with you or people bring you along with them. It's pretty darn special. Scott, we've gone from Springsteen and Sting right through Belichick and Parcells. And I think that's a perfect note to end things on about how you build a team and indeed your belief about creating the perfect team. We were ever so grateful for your time. Um, thank you once again, Scott Pioli, today. Well, Mark, Ryan, Calm, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Hopefully we'll do this again. I'll bring some more of my Italian buddies with me. <laughs> you're, you're such a good storyteller. You're an honorary Irishman, Scott. <laughs>
And that's without a pint. I'm going straight coffee here. 